Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You don't own me. Booking a room with two beds at a hotel isn't exactly your idea of a romantic getaway. Orbitz gets it. Visit orbitz.com slash pride to find hotels that welcome you to travel as you are. Orbitz, travel as you are. So just let me be myself to say and do whatever I Hello, my name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 8 of the No Encore podcast. I'm joined once again by Craig Fitzpatrick. What's up, Pan Sandwich? That's, that's just, is this, no, <laughs> I, I don't want a new nickname with every episode. Why not? That's the worst one yet. Well, Hanner's, well, yeah, it was the no-go. Hanner's is better than, than Sandwich that. kind of works. It's musical. One of Colin Regan. Already looking forward to next week's effort. <laughs> uh, where <laughs> you only get better. Where you won't be here. That's true. Week. Yeah, I'm going to have to be tuning in from afar. Uh, taking a week in Norway. All this podcasting is just too hard work, to be honest. So you're fleeing to Norway? Yeah, pretty much. Jesus. I've got my what are going to do? Got my boonad ready. Uh, what is that? It's the Norwegian dress, which everyone wears for setting them eye or the 17th of May, the national holiday. You're not Norwegian. So. <laughs> Your girlfriend is Norwegian. You're not Norwegian. I know. He's yeah, turning I'm, Norwegian. Yeah, maybe I'm catching. I really I think so. We're losing him to the north. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe it's just yeah a combination of go, dating a Norwegian and watching too much Game of Thrones has turned me into a complete northern obsessive. So. And you also have a hardcore following of a particular football team. Oh, tell you what. I'm a very happy bunny this week, yeah. Sunderland. Somehow. <laughs> well, I, I, I was referring to to the Norwegian football team. Oh, of course. Yeah, well, my Usna boys, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my Usna boys. Usna boys, yeah. The fourth in uh, the Norwegian Obusligaen, which is the second tier of Norwegian football right now. <laughs> second tier. Yeah. God bless you, sir. Um, you, you've gone over to see them? I have, of course, yeah, yeah. And they were very surprised that they had an animated Irishman. Yeah, yeah. Even more surprised was the English bloke playing left back for the other team. Who kind of like I? I only realized halfway through the game that he was English. At which point I was like, "Oh God, I can abuse him properly, and he'll understand it." 
Because um, <laughs> that's what it's all about, folks. Any opportunity, yeah. Well, hooligan, this... football hooligan in disguise, Colin Morrigan over here. Well, I'm one of those kind of like really, you know, really pragmatic football hooligans. I'll only abuse the people who will fully understand my abuse. That's fair. That's yeah. That's I fair. think so. But you also support Sunderland Football Club. Yeah, and um, f- frankly, they've been doing about as well as the second tier uh, Norwegian side for most of the season. It but, is grim uh, up north. It is grim up north. But we survived, and uh, what's more, I won bragging rights in the Hot Press editorial floor over Stuart Clark, and we sent Newcastle down. What a, d- a night's work, really. Did you take it easy on Stuart Clark after walloping his Everton boys? Uh, uh, yeah. By I- uh, fucking. Like steel towing Roberta Martinez out of a job. I think they were kind of. I think it was just good manners on their part to just roll over and give us the win we needed. So yeah, I appreciated it as much as anything. I'm delighted. I'm part delighted. The- Martinez is going. I'm delighted. Newcastle are going down. It's brilliant. <laughs> uh, Jermaine Defoe for Euro 2016, perhaps. Get him on the plane. Get him on that plane. That's going to be a busy plane if everyone who gets on or everyone who scored a few goals gets on it. But I feel like that was our uh, an adequate enough impression of a football podcast for one week. Yeah, and what's more is. <laughs> It's necessitated by the fact that we are the only three music journalists who seem to have stopped going to gigs for a couple of weeks. We had a really good run. <laughs> we did. For the first few episodes of the podcast, we'd all been to like several gigs uh, mm-hmm. each week. It was like we were proper music journalists. Actual music journalists yeah. who, you know... Had an interest in live music and, yeah, the Irish scene, but no. Not anymore. Not anymore. Although, I think we might be going to see Red Enemy this weekend. Yeah. Of course, now that I've said it on the podcast, none of us will go. <laughs> but uh, I hope we all do. They're a great band. They're a very good life. Uh, by the time the podcast comes out, they'll have played, and it'll be known whether we went or whether we didn't. It is go. known. It is known. <laughs> mm-hmm. a, bit, a bit, a bit like <laughs> it was known whether or not you'd written that review that you promised last week. Oh, you can go there right now and read my review. <laughs> yeah, uh, podcast came out on Monday. Review went online on Wednesday. Jesus, uh, just wasn't happening for you. It wasn't happening for me. I finished it Monday night. Uh, podcast ringing in my ears. The the mocking tones of Colin Regan ringing in my ears. That was an ordeal of a review. But I stuck to my Jesus, I read it. Yeah, it certainly was. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate that. You, did, you, you didn't give it a like. You didn't give it a retweet. <laughs> I haven't read it yet. Some sure friend you are. I'm sure it's great. I'll read it. Uh, it's easily the Next most... Wednesday. It's the most uh, flowery and pretentious thing I've written in quite some time. I'm but, sure it's uh, very good. I stand by the scoreline, though. I gave it a nine. And in fact, I had a moment where I kind of wavered a little bit. I was like, maybe this is an eight. But I, I doubled down on it, and I thought it was a nine. This uh, album, sorry, by the way, is Luh, Lost Under Heaven, Spiritual Songs for Lovers to Sing, which we've previously covered in last week's podcast. Cullum, do you want to climb down now, do you? It, not quite climb down, uh, but yeah, I mean, I gave it a six on last week's podcast, and it's better than that, so I, I would like to change my score to a seven. Um, seven. I simply, I simply realised that, you know, there's an awful lot of bollocks out there that would get a six. Yeah. And it's better than that. It deserves more than that. Well, that speaks to the whole idea of judging something maybe a bit too quickly in the music world, which we're going to talk about in depth on this very episode later on. But first, all the news that's fit to print. Yeah. Or talk about on a podcast, I to, guess. To be perfectly honest, no, some of this is not fit to print. And so so if this is ringing in your ears with an awful lot of bleeping in it, it's not our fault. It's just what's been making the news this week. Like uh, Gene Simmons, as usual, flapping his gums. He's a fucking prick, let's be honest with you. <laughs> he is, That's and, the headline, today's headline. And to be fair, most of the time he's an unrepentant prick. The Actually, main he- the headline I've written down here for this for the show note was, Gene Simmons is a cunt, volume 114. Yeah, but most of the time, like I say, he's an unrepentant prick. Uh, this time, at least he seems to have backed down a little bit. He kind of said that uh, Prince's death was pathetic, and that uh, you know the slow death from drugs and alcohol 
uh, just is pathetic, is, is is not a cool thing. It doesn't compare to Bowie that was tragic as a real sickness. Needless to say, he got absolutely pillared for that. Yeah, and it's it's something he's done before. I talked on a previous podcast about where he'd t- you know, spoken of the likes of Kurt Cobain and Jimi Hendrix. I mean, like, if you're dead, you can't make money. What idiots. Um, so it, it was interesting, his ex- explanation this time around, because he kind of said, um, he expected him to say, you know, I've, he said, you know, I've known a lot of junkies in my time through, you know, the music industry, a lot of friends. And you expect him to kind of go, I've lost a lot of great friends and it's a great sadness and I just get so upset. But he was just like, pain in the ass was basically the thing. He's just like, you know, they're, they're terrible to deal with. And I was taught to, it, I was yeah. taught that drug addicts, people who struggle with drug and alcohol addictions, I was taught that they were life's losers, essentially, is what he was saying. Yeah. Uh, he's actually pulled this stuff before and of course like him apologizing and giving a half apology as well is par for the course now he's talked before about mental health and depression and two days later you see the story updated to gene simmons has apologized and it's kind of like you know and i'm sorry but uh it, it's classic gene simmons courting publicity and unfortunately here we are talking about him yeah and yeah. you know when you see paul stanley come out and actually say the guy's a git for saying this kind of stuff he said paul sonny came out and said embarrassed by cold clueless statements three princes death without all the facts better to say nothing apologies so i think that's a first for kiss actually just you know coming out there and saying gene you're a twat shut up um, yeah and what what's more he'd no sooner done that than gene simmons wife got involved which is always <laughs> when you know uh, a twitter war is really going to be a brewing um shannon tweed came in and said uh we all have our failings but true friends don't point at them and throw you under a bus especially partners of 40 years to which stanley replied partners of 40 years says it all don't confuse walking under the bus with being thrown under my apology was correct and tweed said you can't apologize for someone else it's not up to you he feels the way you feel he'd never do that to you never probably because Paul Stanley would never say something so yeah, brutally yeah. insensitive yeah it's a ridiculous story it's it's it, it, don't get me wrong again these things always tend to stem from someone being asked something so Gene Simmons was obviously asked about people dying and you know maybe they were like who's next Gene but uh, effectively once again he's managed to kind of make a rod for his own back that he quickly turns into a divining rod for further publicity if you will but, yeah, um, I yeah. mean, he shouldn't even be considering music news at this point, should he? So we should probably move on. Like, no, he's a dickhead. He's yeah. a dick. And kids yeah. are shit, by the way. Yeah. Yes, I know. I was like, what? They had one song about forty years ago. Let's move on to the far more uh, tranquil and uh, not at all objectionable waters of uh, Azealia Banks going nuts and this just is- firing some truly incredible abuse in the direction of Zayn Malik. At time of recording, her Twitter account is currently suspended, and for good reason. Yeah, um, she had a go at Zayn uh, Malik. Um, basically, she took umbrage with what she thought was Zayn copying um, certain... Basically, the aesthetic of one of her music videos, and she kind of posted a side-by-side, and it did look quite close. And she kind of playfully said, oh, you know, you're still pretty, I don't, I don't mind. Um, he tweeted something kind of very, you know, enigmatic about not responding, and she just... Well, you, you say enigmatic, I say, like, this is bitchy. I can imagine him clicking his fingers in that sort of <laughs> no, no, no sort of way as he posts. What it. was the actual tweet? Like, it did it... it, it I don't know. Oh, it, it was something about, like, you know... It was I, definitely I, about her, though, was it? Yeah. It's just, he, oh, okay. it, it was what the yeah. kids call a sub-tweet. Yeah. Oh, was it? Okay, all right. And then, yeah, we were tweeting she, about someone without tweeting. And then someone. she just lost it and went on a, on a, on a racist tirade. 
And uh, yeah, I actually fucking did. I mean, Jesus Christ! Oh, yeah. I, was watching that stuff, I was watching that like happening live and it, it being updated. And it was just like it, the more it went on, the more you were like, ah, "This is getting really uncomfortable." What's more, as well, part of it was direction. I guess we wouldn't get this, but uh, apparently, like a fourteen-year-old Disney Channel star, Sky Jackson. That's right. Yeah, was, was kind of uh, on the line for some of it as well. Um, and yeah, Zelia Banks certainly wasn't treating her like a fourteen-year-old Disney Channel star. Apparently, she said she thought it was her mother that she was talking to afterwards. <laughs> um, um, but Azealia, another one that has like a history of this kind of thing, but not on this scale. And it's just you were watching someone's career just end essentially, and it just kept going and kept going. Yeah, she was pulled from festivals in the UK after this. Uh, she had used lots of homophobic remarks as well as racist remarks and really kind of went for it and constantly calling out people who were criticising her for doing so. Called out the UK. The entire rap the entire, scene in the UK. Yeah, the entire rap scene in the UK. <laughs> like, it, it, it really was, as you say, just watching someone like light the blue touch paper to their own career. And even like when an apology first came, it was the ultimate I'm sorry, but in that it was... I'm not sorry for what I said or the sentiment of it. I'm sorry that people took offense for, like, because of what I said, yeah, but yeah. I don't change my words. I mean everything that I said. I feel the same way, etc. Sorry, um, not sorry. <laughs> yeah, a real yeah. hardcore sorry, not sorry. And like, as I say, uh, at time of recording, her Twitter account is currently suspended. But as you say, Craig, that's kind of what she's gone from. Like, 212 came out and everyone was like, this song's fucking great. And she's going to be the next big thing. I remember she was on the cover of Hot Press when we were there. And at, at the time, it seemed like, you know, the few months afterwards was like, well, that was a great call because she's really blowing up. Um, this, and the start of 2012, I believe. Yeah. And it didn't help that she had such long delays between releasing music and people were just getting fed up from that end of things there was a few festival cancellations I think so it hasn't been about the music for a long time um, no it hasn't I think she worked with Disclosure at some point and they kind of commented on it and that led to another Twitter spat uh, like yeah it, <laughs> effectively it's kind of one of those things where she's obviously bad news and well, she seems like someone with serious serious problems yeah and I mean it's well obviously if you saw any of the tweets but it's just you know she needs help I think probably no you don't go on a trade like that if you're completely all there do you well i'm not gonna answer that question <laughs> yeah let's, let's move on <laughs> fair enough uh do we also love 212 on our ipods uh, never, tune. never did yeah i don't think so no the radio edit that's i just stream stuff these days the radio edit, the ra- radio edit just a symbol it's unbelievable i heard it on the radio one day and it was just con- it was just like constant and then and lot up oh, that yeah, it was ridiculous. So, yeah. uh, also though, uh, we can move on to a news story. Uh, the the single news story that we're covering this week that involves an actual apology, uh, and it was still too late. Yeah, and it was still too. To apologize. <laughs> that was a great song. That is a great song. Yeah. Whoa, oh my god! Let's, One Republic. Let's have a listen to One Republic's 2007 Timberland assisted sad banger. Oh. Apologize.
monumental. Cullum is giving us a look that he often gives, uh, and I'll tell you, man, <laughs> I did it in my last job. I was sitting there one day and I, I was listening to some tunes that came on, and I did a John Peel on it, and I listened to it twice in a row. It's a masterpiece. It's an absolute masterpiece. Better than Teenage Cakes, I'd say. Uh, obviously, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it goes without saying. You didn't even need to say it. I think everyone knows. That's, okay, Cullum, come at us. What's wrong with that song? I'm not a huge fan of it, to be perfectly honest. It's just... Okay, for, for one, that strange reverby vocal. Oh, haunting. In, in, the, in the chorus. Haunting. No, Emotional. It's, chills. It's just not provocative. Doing it for me, like. <laughs> no. Plus, all I can see, really, when I think about that song is not so much One Republic, but it's just... T- Timbaland cynically sitting at his desk, yeah. leaning back, counting yeah. money. Leaning well, back, his little. Yeah, <laughs> that was around the time he insisted on being in every music video. He like for songs, he was just like. But in that video, there's a part where like he's smug he's, face. He's at the oh. uh, he's at the mixing desk, and he's got his Smugest he's got his head <laughs> he's got his head turned away from from the glass, and he's just like he's putting his hand out. And like he's just he's willing he's willing the emotion to come because yeah, he knows you can see the music he knows it's out. coming and then the drummer throws his stick down in slow motion as uh, as it goes and it's just oh I mean it's it's oh man I'm telling you I'm telling and then you. people stop caring about Timberland it's not too late to apologize <laughs> never too late and it's not too late to get on board with that song but anyway <laughs> anyway that is what they call an aside yeah it, it was almost too late to apologize uh, for yacht who frankly I mean who. For, well, this is kind of the point, isn't it? Mediocre shit band, you say? Yeah, and that no one cares about. What's more, if we'd said somebody last week, you know, oh, we're talking about yacht on the podcast, that they would have been like, who, what, why? This makes no sense. There's nice public rings then called the yacht, but they, it doesn't have to do with this. Yeah, the past couple of days have sort of changed that. Um, they obviously came out last week and said, you know, long Facebook post uh, describing. They're a the, couple, by the way. Like they're, y- yeah, like, sorry, in, that, that should in be pointed both, out. Yeah. In both art and life and love. And they deserve each other. <laughs> they deserve <laughs> anyway, each other. Anyway, let's get to the meat of this. They kind of said that basically uh, there was a sex tape that had been stolen or leaked, uh, blaming one morally abject person. They said they'd commence legal proceedings. And uh, a few hours later, it said that they would start selling it themselves as it was the only way that they could kind of like, you know, take back ownership of the video, so to speak. Um, Then, of course, it emerged that, yeah, the whole thing was bullshit. Yeah, the reaction, by the way, from their fans initially to the Facebook post was so strong and in support. I mean, like everyone was like, we love you guys. Who cares? Like some scumbag did this to you and we'll never think differently of you. Fair play to you for taking ownership of this and, you know, beating them at their own game. And they actually left a comment under the comment of this where they said, oh my God, guys, we're so overwhelmed by this. We can't, like, this is obviously very new to us. And, like, I mean, it's amazing to see you guys rally around us like this. Uh, We hope no one has been offended or will be offended by what they may or may not see. We understand if you are, but thanks to all our fans for being so great. And you're kind of like, like, watching that in that moment. I didn't know about that bit. Yeah. Oh my God. That's a whole different level. Yeah, like, like really (laughs) disgusting based on what would come 24 hours later. Because in that moment, you're kind of like, oh, fair fucking play to them. I mean, this is obviously a horrible thing to happen anybody uh we've seen like you know the revenge porn is, is a massive issue people have had their lives ruined over things that people have taken their own lives over stuff like this yeah. it's a very very real thing a very very modern horrible aspect of life and in this situation everyone was like well fair fucking play to them this is cool like they've really kind of nailed this scumbag and like fuck that guy but there was no guy because there was no sex tape it was all a fucking hoax. Yeah, so this video appeared on Pornhub the next day, um, and it was basically just them kind of messing around in night vision. And then twist ending was that they turned into aliens or something, and it was very clear that it was just a teaser for their a new single. Their new fucking single. So um, uproar ensued, um, and they had to backtrack and 
basically they came out with this uh, well they came out with a much stronger apology but initially they were talking about it being this art project and them tackling you know issues surrounding I mean do you actually have that yeah the quote the quote oh this is so annoying Uh, following the revelation that their alleged sex tape leak was a hoax, they release a statement saying, and like the most predictable fucking thing that they would say, it's a project that led us to play with science fiction, the attention economy, clickbait journalism, and celebrity sex tapes all at once. This was not designed to make money or sell records, but to explore the intersection of privacy, media, and celebrity. To which you have Fuck to say... Fuck you! Yeah, that's complete bollocks. They also kind of said that, and this is one thing that I might actually try to make some sort of defense for them is that they said that there was a leap made between celebrity sex tape and revenge porn that they sort of brought on themselves but that they really hadn't intended on yeah and certainly once i heard that kind of comment to their fans where they were engaging with fans and saying yes this is this awful thing that's very upsetting to us i could almost get why like one night drunkenly you could be like do you know what would be hilarious we just made up a sex tape and blah blah Mm -hmm. and like oh we're just kind of ragging on the likes of kim kardashian or something like that you wouldn't do it, but you could have that idea and maybe yeah. it'd be a playful thing. But it just took this really, really dark turn and they seemed more than happy to play it along. They did a day later then give what you call a proper response and a proper apology. It even leads off with the words, first off, we're sorry, which you very rarely see in any of these celebrity things. And it ends with a PS saying we're sorry for our shitty non-apology yesterday too. There's no justifying it. We clearly didn't get it then. We get it now. And it goes into some length about basically how they got it wrong. Um, they did get it wrong, there's no doubt about that. What did you make of the force of the reaction, especially kind of when it turned out that it was a hoax, that it was? There is something to be said for an overwhelming mob mentality, I guess, of you know wanting to see someone punished and going maybe a bit too far. And obviously, you know, we live in fucking generation outrage. That's kind of yeah, the, way very things, much so. the way things are. So I do think in the grand scheme of things, uh, let's move on. <laughs> like it was a really, really bad. <laughs> They're uh, just two twats from Portland. Yeah. That, like if you've seen their interviews before about other They're stuff, dicks. they talk constantly about this. Like this project word keeps cro- cropping up. They really do think they're making art that is saying stuff about society. I think they were just naive twats. I don't think they're yeah, their awful first apology people, actually you know? bothered me the most. Their first apology and also them interacting with their fans, being like, "Oh my god, thanks guys." That 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 pissed me off the most. Um, obviously, there are people out there who would have had uh, experiences where they might have had things like of a private nature made public and for them and especially if you're a fan of that band and you see this and you see what really was going on I can totally understand why somebody would have a a visceral emotional reaction to that kind of thing Um, I do think obviously yes we do live in a culture where how much is too much like like how much is enough like are people like I, I think it's died down now yeah and rightly so you know, like they've they've taken their licks and they've said, "Okay, look, we really fucked up here. We're very, very sorry." It's just someone I, I saw someone on Twitter kind of say as well that like it's really fucking sad though that this is what bands need to do in this day and age to get publicity, mm-hmm. and that is another commentary in itself. But and yeah, it's I think it's entirely worked because you know how many people, as we said at the start, just knew nothing of this. Would, would yacht, we ever all have, caps? Yeah, would we ever um, be talking about them at all? The no. other thing that I would shove in at the end though is that I I honestly think that if this was. This, the case where, like, you know, they'd made some sort of mistake at the start, and the, the story was this band was trying to do this as a hoax in order to get publicity. I don't think there'd have been half as much reaction as there has been simply because people were fooled for a bit. Yeah. There's nothing that people hate more. 
than actually falling for the hoax in the first yeah, place. Yeah, uh, particularly publications. Uh, yeah. A lot of music journalists came out saying, you know, this was absolutely, you know, pulling the wool over our, our eyes. And it was, a, you know, to a certain extent, there is a lot of room for musicians to do more of that stuff. There's not enough kind of good pranks <laughs> done anymore. But this was obviously a terrible, terrible one. But Yeah, because what, what it does, though, and I think what, what pissed people off, as well as, yeah, getting kind of caught out, is the fact that people took them at their word over something mm-hmm. that they were very empathetic towards. People were like, yeah. a situation where they were presented as victims. Yeah. And it wasn't just like, so. oh my God, we had all our gear stolen. Or, you know, someone has embezzled all their fucking money or whatever. Or someone has hacked their website. Like, it wasn't even that. It was a case of, like, because this was planned. They had emailed, like, websites before saying, hey, we're going to fake this. We're going to fake a server crash. We're going to pretend to leak a sex tape and, quote, get out in front of and it. If it was first, calculated. If, and if the first thing you do is go to Gawker with your plans, you know you're just in a bad way. Let's just end it right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, in, su- in summary, uh, don't listen to you They're crap. <laughs> Although, frankly, when we look at some of the music that's come out in the past week, that can be said about more people, including this guy. I got this feeling inside my bones. It goes electric wavy when I turn it on. Off from my city, off from my home. We're flying up no ceiling when we in our zone. I got that. That was Justin Timberlake and Can't Stop the Feeling. It was something of a long awaited release from Justin Timberlake. <laughs> <laughs> and. Craig just exploded there. <laughs> was okay. it long awaited? Go again. What? Was it long awaited? No, no, we're, we're, we're fine. <laughs> like I think Craig just like had a, had a laugh. We're, it's all was good. It? Was it long awaited? Yeah, no, I wasn't was waiting it? for it. No, <laughs> not at all. Okay. Um, I feel like I feel like uh, 2005 and uh, Future Sex Love Sounds seems a long time ago now. I think Justin Timberlake has lost it completely. Well, you uh, had those twin albums, which was probably what two or three years ago now, maybe a bit yeah. more. In fairness, um, no, no, two or three years ago, and like yeah, the 2020 experience. They both did really well in terms of charting. They sold a lot. Um, they first were very one, long. First one's better than the second one. The first one has got like mirrors on it, which is a fucking great There's tune. Some beautiful songs so, and, um, and uh, some other really good stuff. The second one, however, uh, I gave a two out of ten for Drowning Sound. When I when I reviewed it for them, because it's fucking abysmal. It's a self indulgent, horrible vanity project that, to me, uh, brought forward uh, someone who is just completely spent. Uh, this song is. I mean, it's written with Max Martin for the animated movie Trolls. Yeah, yeah I mean, based, it's for a kids' film. Based so on the you're... Troll Dolls of Yore, uh, which features the likes of Anna Kendrick, Gwen Stefani, James Corden, Russell Brand, John Cleese, Zoe Deschanel, and Timberlake himself. And it's shit. It's his well, now, I mean, like, you yeah. have to throw in as the sort of caveat there. It, it's written by Max Martin. So, you know, he of the sort of, like, bubbly Swedish pop fame, uh, Justin Timberlake basically had nothing to do with it. It is for the movie Trolls, so it's aiming at a, an audience that is very much different to yeah. what Justin Timberlake has been aiming at for a long time. So, I mean, I'm really not sure whether he's, uh, you know, kind of in line for, 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 for the blame for this. The other thing, though, I have to jump in and say that, like, I mean, you know, he's been working on, like, a bunch of stuff um, in the past while he's been, you know, gigging with a few artists and guesting with people. And he's still such a huge deal in the States that, you know, yeah, it, it is long awaited. People are interested in what he's doing. There was a threat to kind of move towards country shit. 
which oh I mean had as much fear <laughs> An for empty anybody. Dress, I hope. Yeah, but I mean, you know, he did stuff with Chris Stapleton at the Country Music Awards and stuff like that. I think it was Little Big Town that he was threatening to get into studio with. There has been <laughs> a lot of noise over the past while about what he's going to do next, and he does still hold that weight in the states. Um, I like Timberlake. He's a very charming guy. I think My Love is one of the best pop songs ever written. Uh, he's terrific when he's got the right director like David Fincher, as we saw on The Social Network. So like, he is good. He's an all-round well. entertainer, and I don't mean that ironically. No, like, he's no, just he's a not, great he's song great. dance man. Like, yeah, he yeah. really, really is. But the material has been weak now for quite some time, and it's getting to the point now where he desperately needs another song like either Mirrors or you know What Goes Around Comes Around or My Love to get me back on board to think of him as a bona fide pop like not icon that's obviously too big of a word but like someone who could be mentioned in the same conversations yeah something like this is not going to do it but it's it is happy isn't it it's it's pharrell's happy it's just except not it's the as, sound of the summer not as it, irritating it, it, but not, not as like something it's never going to be as ubiquitous because it doesn't have that catchy thing but it's just that level of okay this isn't for you guys <laughs> to be honest as well i mean like at, at least with pharrell's happy it it at least felt like it was one idea. This feels like some sort of bad computer-generated, you know, pick the four things that are popular right now and make them all into a song. Yeah, yeah very <laughs> much so. It's cynical, and it's it's not cool. Um, do you know what's not cynical? <laughs> and do you know what is cool? Welsh pride. <laughs> this. Chris Coleman's men have freed Welsh football from the shackles of their history. Half a century or more of heartache, of lust, gust, failure. Now they know. Now they've done it. Not since 1958 One Brazil would make our hearts break But now that France has arrived Feels so good to be alive. Uh, let's not forget Gary's beast. He wore his heart upon his sleeve. And if he is looking down, then our love is all around. One could almost say that was a Scottish hand. Certainly Jordan's hand went up as well. Let's have a look. I think it was Jordan. Now this latest setback, which leaves everyone wondering when, if ever, Wales will eventually make it to the final of the international competition. So come on And we go to Craig Fitzpatrick first, uh, long time Manix. <laughs> Somebody who was who was on to me recently being like, you've heard the Holy Bible, right? And I was like, yeah, probably. And you're like, get on that right now. So would you say that uh, Together Stronger, brackets, Come On Wales, is their best song I since mean, Faster? I'm a bit disappointed they didn't go with the industrial feel of Holy Bible for this, because I think it would have just shot through a lot more of that kind of passion and angst that the Welsh national team has had over the years. It's a song of desperation. Um, but ultimately triumph. Um, it's for the working man. It says a lot about Thatcher. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's hopeful, but it's great. <laughs> Call him rescue this. Yeah, well, this this song uh, swaps Thatcher for Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey, as you do, as you do. Yeah, as well as this bizarre like chanty passage that starts with Chrissy Coleman. 
Um, There's a Hal Robson Canoe melody show. Hal Robson Canoe, and uh, yeah. I mean, I guess these sort of th- team songs aren't easy to do. <laughs> well, they look like they had that's, fun that's, that's the in most... the video. Nicky War is bopping about with shades yeah. on. Uh, the players... the lyrics are just, I mean, even the rhyme scheme, it's like clear Nicky War was just in the taxi on the way to the studio, just like dashing out lyrics. But why are Green. they doing it? Like, they don't need to do this. James Dean Bradfield's, like, his performance vocally is the same intensity as, like, anything oh, he's, he's ever done. It. It's going to ruin, like, all their other music for me because it's just, like, he's singing he's it with the passion of yeah. Like the masses against the classes, like he's like, what the hell? And I mean, like, clearly he wants to, like he's got a guitar with the Welsh fucking crest on it. And I mean, Nicky Warrior's just like bopping out with shades on in a suit, like he's on coke. I mean, because he's just like, why not? Uh, the 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 team look at like they're having a, a grand old time. But here's the thing, yeah, it's a football song for Euro 2016, and they are massive fans of any kind of Welsh sporting endeavors. Like, so they're proper, they're properly into it as well themselves. Yeah, like, legit. Yeah. But like, but here's the thing. I know it's shit, and I know it's a football song, but I don't think you can make that kind of caveat because ultimately it's the Manic Street Preachers, or sorry, Manic Street Preacher, or mm-hmm. probably no, the is there Manics. But here's the, here's, <laughs> here's the thing, MSP. I don't know what else they could have done, and I wasn't expecting anything off the beaten path here. But come on, what I will say is this is bad. The chorus is dreadful. Like you expect them to at least give us somewhat of a hummable chorus. What I will also say though is that Ireland's song has not been released yet. The last time. We got to the Euros. We had Damien Dempsey, some of the members of the Chieftains, if I remember correctly. Danny O'Reilly? And Danny O'Reilly Brezzy? singing uh, The Rocky Road to Dublin, oh. uh, reach, uh, remixed and, and changed up uh, to suit the event. So, uh, yeah, before we start uh, ridiculing the other nations' uh, musical efforts, maybe we should wait until our own... Well, the Galaxy uh, on Twitter today were saying that they'd like to do it, so hopefully they'll get to do it. They won't, but it'd be great if they did. Yeah, it um, would. But uh, yeah, uh, when you're when you're 2016 rolls around, we'll really delve into the world of bad football songs. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, we'll delve into the world of actually good music, and uh, this from Minor Victories. That's called Breaking My Light. We talked about these guys a couple of weeks ago, a bit of a super group. Um, okay, what did you make of the song, Dave? I think it's great. The album's on the verge of kind of making its way to people's ears. Uh, we talked about, yeah, like a, a super group, as you say, featuring members of Mogwai, Slow Dive, Editors, and Handheld Cine Club. Um, I kind of detect a little bit of tone there in that you might, I'm going to guess that you think it's a bit too similar to the song that we previously featured, Folk Arp. And I remember you kind of making, I could be wrong here, but I remember you kind of making the claim that an entire album and that might be a bit much but like I've had a listen to the four or five tracks that they have released so far and they do actually vary in a bit of tone I'm very very impressed by this group I think the album could be something special I actually have no objection in terms of sounding too similar to the other one I just I was slightly disappointed at this song because I think it really peaks in the first minute oh yeah I think think the intro is by a mile the best part of the song oh yeah yeah 
it sags then. It oh, okay. I, I I didn't get that at all. Through. I will I will say the folk art, for example, has a gigantically wonderful crescendo in it, and this doesn't match that. But it almost goes the opposite. But way. I didn't I, I didn't find myself thinking that it was too front loaded. I don't want to go kind of like full you know Andy Gray style. Oh, here, please but- do. Okay, fine. Well, like, I suppose Stuart Braithwaite is Scottish, so I can. You gonna do the accent? Yeah. Oh, fucking awesome! Because it's almost because <laughs> it's almost as though they were in studio and like they had this amazing intro, and then he kind of said, "Right, Rachel, put your vocals on that." And Rachel said, "Don't need to be asked twice." Boom. <laughs> And the song just lost a lot of power for that. That was amazing. It was really good. Um, (laughs) Cullum's a lot less creepy. (laughs) I'll say that much. In person. In person. (laughs) Scottish Cullum has his charms. I do do miss Andy Gray's invented uh, conversations between footballers, though. Yeah. Yeah. Or or even... Whatever tense that is. What is the actual tense? Gray tense. (laughs) Yeah, gray tense. I I think it's the, like, conversations between the ball and the player. Go on, give us one there. the best, you know? Ball just hangs in the air and says, "Put your head on um, me, son." <laughs> yeah. And Stevie Gerrard says, <laughs> says, "No problem." Thank you. Uh, a friend of mine bought his biography years and years ago, at like like in some second-hand store for about a euro. Uh, it was called Grey Matters, of course. And apparently, there was lots of stories from his past about how, like he was bought or like, like he came in as like a trainee at Villa or somewhere or, or before Villa and basically like there, there was some other player at the club who was meant to be like the next big thing and that guy didn't go on to be the next big thing and Andy Gray like ends this story by going uh, and I was sold to Villa for a million pounds and yeah. it's basically Alan Partridge needless to say I had the last laugh he yeah. said that basically every chapter ends that way which doesn't surprise me at all because Andy Gray is a fucking cretin it's a small little man well yeah. to be fair I mean if he's Alan... also the Jim Ross of football commentary and I do miss him from that point of well, view well it should be said as well that if Alan Partridge is ever to leave the screens permanently it will definitely be in a plot line where he gets caught in a sexist tirade and literally sent to the Middle East <laughs> so you know couldn't make it up yeah the similarities are not <laughs> the real Monday Night Football <laughs> as they point out but, um, but back to the music yeah. Yeah. you mentioned what went on in the studio is, it, is this not entirely based on just them working online together I don't think they've even been in the same room whilst producing stuff as yet which is a, an interesting approach and certainly impressive from that end of things I mean it flows really well you wouldn't think they weren't getting together in a room would you? Yeah, no, no. Yeah. I wasn't aware of that yeah. and it doesn't sound like that whatsoever yeah, uh, yeah no, so that's definitely an album that I'm looking forward to epic hearing epic drums though. as well yeah Love oh the production is absolutely oh, yeah, and it's gorgeous got that, got that kind of swell yeah yeah excellent stuff um, we also like this from Local Natives This to me is the real sound of the summer. I feel like I'm at a festival already. And I know how cheesy that sounds, but it's just really fun. It's just really upbeat and cool. Yeah, and it's one of those songs as well that in many ways like I, I can hear myself or see myself listening to it five years ago, six, seven years ago. <laughs> it, it's just that sort Are of classic. Are you a time traveller? <laughs> <laughs> that classic sort of 
you what? know, indie rock sound that just... I know what, what, what saying I'm saying now. is that they haven't tried to, you know, break the mold, push the envelope in any kind of weird way. Well, here's the thing. That makes perfect sense because this reminded me a lot of their debut stuff, which I guess would have been around then. Um, and their second album, Hummingbird, which I thought was really, really good, the last thing they put out... But it was a lot darker. Um, it was more cavernous, I think. They've definitely taken some elements from that, but it was it didn't have the immediacy and the kind of the summery feel of this. What's so the, it feels like they've gone back to their, their roots. You're a fan. What's the singer's name? Oh, God. You don't, okay, you don't know his name. <laughs> so you're not a fan. Sorry, I, I, I thought you'd know. <laughs> not off the top of my head. I've interviewed him. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, I guess he wasn't very memorable. Whatever his, his name is. lovely bloke. Uh, yeah. I like that there's a bit in it where like, he really goes for it towards the end. And yeah. It's kind of yeah. like a big, kind of like, you know, emotional 80s John Cusack movie kick in. And that works for me every fucking time. Also, it kind of reminds me of, uh, as you said, Colin, kind of support your weird time traveling um, persona. Uh, Bombay Bicycle Club Shuffle, which I remember when that came out in 2011. You hear it once and you're like, instant summer song. Very, very upbeat, very, very cool. And it's kind of like a bit like that. Also, the singer sounds a little bit like uh, Luke Jenner from The Rapture. I never noticed it until now. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, you're right. Um, I'm always right. Guys. And R.I.P. Bombay. Are they gone? Yeah. Did, when, when, when did they break up? It's over, man. Did they it's break over? Up? Yeah. Did Bombay Bicycle yeah. break up? I don't know if it was an official breakup, but they've. Yeah. Nice lads. We've, we've, I think we've all interviewed them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you have to name all of the band. <laughs> however, however, the ultimate 7 out of 10 band? Uh, You've said this before. Yeah. I, I, see, I've always been a fan of them, so I guess I've never naturally thought of them as a 7 out of 10 band. All right. But, yeah. I'm standing by that one. Yeah, I, I, I can kind of see it from the perspective that they probably got the success that a 7 out of 10 band typically gets, so I understand it in that respect. Didn't know they were done, though. That's kind of sad. Mm. Seemed like yeah. not very, very nice guys. The frontman of Bombay Bicycle Club, I think it's Jack Steadman. Um, he's very much the kind of creative driving force of that band. I think he, yeah. he writes, he produces, all the rest of it. So even if there's not something from the band to look forward to soon, uh, yeah, he might well get back uh, in a solo, guys, or, or some sort of new project. <laughs> Again, R.I.P. <laughs> All right, and final thing that caught our ears this week uh, was designer. Um, it's called Panda. I got brides in Atlanta. She's a Dolly in the family. Credit cards in the scammers. Hitting the licks in the band. Legacies, family. Wayne C, look like a panda. Going out like a Montana. Honey killers on the helmets. Legacies, family. Wayne C, family. smoke. Okay, yeah, I oversold his name a little bit. Designer, but it's got two eyes in it. Um, but then who doesn't have two eyes? Uh, Panda. I it's the biggest song in the world right now, man. Is it? Apparently so. It's Zane Lowe saying Lots of people have been saying I've got this. three eyes. I'm not a huge my name. fan of this. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of this, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it either. I mean, cause, and I think the reason why is because we've all heard it, or at least the, the hook of it, in Father Shreds My Hands yeah. Part 2 and by Kanye West Kanye. on The Life of Pablo this year. And without those supporting elements that I know from that song, this just sounds a bit rote. I mean, not to get too, like, Craig on Kanye... Do but it. I think Kanye squeezed all of the goodness out of this, like in terms of just that part works perfectly as a segue. Um, but when it's sustained over this lengthy period, it's just not doing it. It is for me literally monotonous. Yeah, it is like it really listening is. to a metronome ticking. And yeah, 
And if, again, because we're aware of the Kanye stuff, you're kind of waiting for that big burst of something just, you know, subconsciously. And it never, and happens. It never happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm very surprised it's gone so massive. Um, I guess that's what this, the Kanye West effect will do, yeah. right? It's just, not working for him just with like, his own <laughs> tracks. but <laughs> Yeah, or, or indeed with his own finances. Um, I had to pull this up at one stage because I'm sure we all remembered uh, around the last podcast uh, to wish our mothers a happy Mother's Day. Uh, Kanye certainly pulled out the stops to uh, wish Kim a happy Mother's Day and hired uh, a string orchestra to play in their home. This is Kanye, who apparently is $53 million in debt, hiring an orchestra. Well, now, apparently, when uh, Kim Kardashian was having a a Twitter spat of her own with Chloe Grace Moretz about body shaming, uh, in which I thought Kim Kardashian came across very, very well, she said something about how she like went to the bank that day and deposited a, a lot of money that would effectively get Kanye out of the hole, I suppose. So I suppose in his situation, he, he'll be all right. So I, he's spending the Mrs. Cash on her own presents. I think it kind of explains <laughs> that. <laughs> Homer Simpson's bowling ball. This is like when you were a kid and you sort of asked your mum for the money to buy her a present. Like This is ludicrous. But like, I think he kind of tried to explain that he used the wrong words, essentially. He was just saying, I'm such and such out of pocket as opposed to in debt. <laughs> like, he was just saying, I put my own money into this. But it's like, yeah, you've it's got like lot, lots to use more. the wrong words on social media or anything. <laughs> no, but, and um, it's also not like a rapper to spend money on something isn't. very, very stupid, especially if they're not in the position to do so. They've got form. Yeah, definitely. Which brings us to our top 10. I was about to say that sounds like a sweeping generalization, but if you've got a top 10 to back it up. I most certainly do. And the man himself kicks it off. I don't know if you knew, knew this, but as a wedding present, Kanye bought Kim 10 Burger Kings. Yeah, of course I knew that. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> not, not meals, like the actual Burger yeah. King restaurants in Italy, France and England. I've no idea. I can't imagine she works behind the counter no, at any it's, point. It's like, so when they go to those places on holidays, she doesn't have to queue when she wants to get some fast food. Or pay, I would imagine. Yeah, I guess so. So do people well, just... Well, that would be a bit dodge, would it? If they own it. Well, maybe not. No, it wouldn't actually. That'd be but, some of the people, like, I'm they, just, yeah, okay. What if there's a queue? Do people yeah. have to leave? What have you been queuing for 10 minutes? I imagine this is more an investment thing than food-based <laughs> purchasing. It just sounds very strange. It does. I agree. That's why it's on this list. <laughs> Stranger okay, still. Okay, okay, okay. I get it now. Number nine, MC Hammer. Uh, had marble floors in his house. That sounds perfectly reasonable. It cost $30 million. The man was bankrupt <laughs> two years later. Yeah, jeepers. Where did it all go wrong? Where did it I think all it was go those wrong? Pants, those pants, those parachute pants. Um, I'd love to know how much money he spent on those as well. Probably not thirty million dollars. Probably not, but probably pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lil Wayne, uh, that diamond grill, yeah, costs close to two hundred grand. Oh, I've never understood the diamond grill thing. Just no, so impractical. Trust me. <laughs> it's like he wasn't thinking. We, <laughs> we won't get stuck into the diamonds yet because it gets better over time. Uh, Drake at number seven. Oh, good old shower. Drake. Right? With LED lights that adjust to mood and a water head that emits a lavender scent. That sounds tremendous. Um, but it's Drake, like, so just it's mood. So it's just Drake. constantly blue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, no, I, I, I'm going to say that I, 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 I would approve of that. Mm. I would enjoy that shower. Really? With Drake in it? Uh, no. Okay. Nah. You know half Even the time if he Drake sang. probably showers sitting down yeah, anyway. Yeah. He's probably just going to bore the hell out of you. Like, yeah. <laughs> probably. Uh, number six, uh, Russell Simmons. Yes, I know he's not a rapper technically, but a rap mogul. Uh, yeah, he he actually did that thing of a gold toilet. <laughs> oh. You couldn't use it, could you? 
you just you, that's too much it's too much yeah I, th- I think I could probably bring myself if necessary uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the diamonds really step yeah, probably up probably diamonds really step up here okay would and you vomit into the gold toilet Oof, I'm not sure to be honest you'd probably like start inhaling flakes and making yourself sicker is it safe to sit on gold for a length of time like it doesn't have does gold have proper no I suppose you can How wear does it gold flush? Yeah, you can surely you can wear, wear yeah, it all yeah. the time surely water would would eventually gold po- no I'm just thinking of like gold finger that bird with the gold oh, right. stuff yeah like, no 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 yeah. I don't know okay. that's all a right. movie <laughs> I thought it was a documentary and number five <laughs> Just Blaze has a diamond encrusted PlayStation controller yeah I like that. That that's good. Uh, at number three, or sorry, at number four, the game uh, who spend one hundred grand on a Bentley GT covered in diamonds. To which you're kind of thinking, that's quite good value, actually. Bentley GT diamonds, hundred grand. Yeah, a lot of diamonds. It's a remote control toy for his son. Oh, fantastic! A <laughs> hundred grand. Hundred grand. A hundred thousand dollars. Presumably guaranteed to just smash into the worktop within about twenty seconds. Gets run over by like a fucking Volvo. Or something. <laughs> Brilliant. At number three, fifty cent. This is my favorite. I was waiting of for him. Sort of, <laughs> I was like, where is he? This is my favorite. If this is a sensible purchase. Oh no, you've got that terribly wrong. He bought one of those tour buses with a studio on it, which <laughs> makes perfect sense, and gave it to Soldier Boy. Nice. Oh. Why? Yeah, he'd signed Soldier Boy, and then I think the album didn't come out for like a year or two. That's right, yeah. yeah and so then even when it came out, it no one sell. cared, yeah, because yeah. Soldier Boy was gone. At number two, uh, French Montana, who uh, is an animal lover. But uh, also, unfortunately, a, a drug lover. So he nearly said, "Aren't we all?" <laughs> no, no. He ends up basically making these decisions while high. Uh, he bought a Capuchin <laughs> monkey named Julius Caesar, but uh, he also bought ba- two baby tigers while monged. Oh man! <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think only afterwards did he kind of realise, you know, baby tigers grow. Yeah, after as, a while, as somebody who has a, a fondness for tigers and has a tiger tattooed on his arm. I support and endorse this event or product. It's not good for the tiger, so man. And at number one, I agree, but I, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not into tigers. I'm being just saying, cage or right. anything. But like you know, Marcy wouldn't be pleased if I could hang out with a tiger <laughs> for a day and it wouldn't kill me or anything. I'd, I'd be happy with that. <laughs> okay, all right. At number one, It'd be really good. We we'd go number places. one day, little John. <laughs> of course, of course, it is. Yeah, yeah, birthday. He is the largest pendant ever. It's five pounds, so big he has to actually carry it in his hands because the chain won't support it. <laughs> it has uh, nearly 4,000 diamonds, so it costs half a million. But the biggest problem with it is that it says, Crunk ain't dead. That's not just a waste of money, that's incorrect. Yeah, Crunk <laughs> is very much dead. And uh, yeah, just by virtue of his chain being wrong... He's number one. Uh, if anyone's wondering why Craig said happy birthday, it's because of a Yellow Wolf song in which this happens. Two bottles shouting, yeah. two bitches waiting, yeah. two teams, that's a win win situation. Happy birthday. happy birthday, I'm feeling brand new. Drinks on me, for me, I love that bit so much. It's tremendous. <laughs> you, you, there, was, there was a solid month long period in Hot Press where you were like, Dave, Dave, and you just play it. <laughs> And then you yeah, interviewed so you interviewed Yellow Wolf. Yeah, well. he was great, lovely guy. Yeah, he stole my lighter. Yeah, I I, I thought he offered you some some smokes. No, well, he, he kind of did, but I was on the job. He just but, stole your lighter. Well, he just kept it. He smoke. He you know used it for his own 
Cigarette. Did you get a? You never got it was a, a cigarette. Okay. <laughs> now, well, you just you forgot about C- it. Cigarette I don't know. Cigarettes noise. make you forgetful after half an hour or so. That was a. Do, do they? That was a classic. Uh, a classic. You gonna stay around for the gig, man? And you're like, yeah. And then you went home, wasn't it? <laughs> I couldn't actually make it. I would have liked to have seen him. Actually, I'd say he was pretty good. Yeah, that man. album was very strong. He was a nice dude to talk to. Um, I'm surprised Jay Z buying title wasn't on that list. <sighs> Listen, uh, we like, like satire. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, have you cancelled title yet, Dave? We need to move on um, <laughs> because we have two albums to review. Two albums that uh, you know, when we were recording the last podcast, we didn't even realise were coming out. Frankly, a lot. Some people uh, reacted very quickly to the release of this album. These albums uh, so quickly, in fact, that they could scarcely really have had time to listen to them. This is becoming a real problem, if you ask me. And you did ask me, kind of, in that link thing that you did there. So uh, You're also the host, so I think you're just obliged to talk. Yeah, uh, this is becoming a real issue, I, I, I feel. I feel that this kind of first-past-the-post kind of rush reviewing of albums is, is really becoming a bit of an epidemic. Uh, this year in particular, we've seen quite a bit of it. Uh, Neil McCormick of The Telegraph reviewed the Madison Square Garden rip of The Life of Pablo, like, a day after it, you know, like played uh, via, yeah. via live stream it, that was quite embarrassing I have like to a say. full review like, like like this wasn't just like well, here's what we learned from last night's uh, Madison Square Garden play through no, it was off. dressed up as no one will notice that I'm yeah a full review yeah. and like he gave it th- I think he gave it 3 out of 5 so a full fledged review on that website 24 hours later and when people called him on this and said that's not the fucking album at all and like you know he didn't even play half like he, he, he didn't play Fade and obviously it was it's not even like it's, jumping it's, around he was talking about a video game he was designing about his mother like, hardly, he got an email hardly, he, got an email. he got an email at one point it's hardly Should've left that in it's hardly like an optimum listening experience and it wasn't even the track listing that would, would emerge of course as we know because like, there was a bunch of other tracks added to it and everything and then not bit, the best track listing by the way but anyway came out of it a week later moved on. but the point is when people when people criticise Neil McCormick about this um, on Twitter and elsewhere, he kind of got all stroppy about it and all smug and kind of quite trollish, if you ask me, and didn't, you know, like, uh, re-review it, didn't review the actual record and seemed quite proud of his efforts. And it was a strange one because with a lot of these people, I would let them almost off the hook to a certain extent because there's obviously pressure from people above them to be like, we have to be first out of it, you know, as you say, first past the post once the album comes out. But this was a case of, he could have just said, the album's not out. Like, if it, the album wasn't out. It was, uh, it was pure arrogance of, of a really kind of uh, irresponsible scale, if you ask me. Uh, he also had his Radiohead review of A Moon-Shaped Pool uh, up at 9.34pm on the Sunday that it was released, some 94 minutes after this 52.5-minute record was officially released. He narrowly defeated uh, Alexis Petretis of The Guardian, Craig's boy, Alexis. <laughs> You're a big fan. Yeah, I am. Uh, by just three minutes in the same desperate race, whose four-star review for The Guardian, which clearly had the first three or four paragraphs written days in advance, surfaced at 9.37pm. Uh, Petretis had his review of Beyonce's Lemonade online at midday, some 12 hours or so after its release to the world. Um, so, you know, obviously very kind of muddled there. Now, the reason I kind of mentioned those specific time frames is I was actually looking out for this to see who would be first. I even put up a poll on Twitter about it because I was just like, this is how satirical and stupid this has gone. Who will it be? Uh, but it turns out beating both of them to the punch was uh, Ed Perrer, who we know. <laughs> and uh, We quite like Ed Perrer. He writes yeah. for Hot Press. Uh, but he, his review for the Irish Independent... Uh, giving it four stars, went online two minutes shy of 9pm. Uh, Lawrence Mackin of the Irish Times did a track-by-track track at two minutes past nine, 
but at least had the decency to frame it as a first listen kind of first impression type stream of consciousness thing uh, rather than here's the full review yeah. now the argument could be made that in the cases of some of the above advanced copies may have been issued however it wouldn't shock me if all of the above got their first listen as we did sometime after the official worldwide release at 7 p.m on the sunday that this was released this was a marquee release uh, shrouded in secrecy to the point that the album title wasn't even known until about an hour before the record was available to download uh, and i've seen a few 10 out of 10 reviews going around and i've seen kind of people even kind of say in advance that they were going to give a 10 out of 10 which to me is a bit kind of questionable um I can't help but feel like, like my buddy Valentine's MBV, that there's a danger of being immediately intoxicated by such pedigree releases and critics essentially lead with their hearts, which is no bad thing if they were to approach the same body of work six months or a year down the line, but that doesn't tend to happen. So what I'm kind of wondering here is, like, am, am I being too precious about finding this practice to be utterly ridiculous and possibly even hurtful, or is being first the most important thing and that's the most important thing? I feel like this wouldn't be a problem if they were dressed up as first impressions, which up until about, it might have been the MBV thing, most people were doing. They were doing a track by track or they were doing a, you know, just heard this, here's what we're thinking. Um, But now every time it's a straight review dressed up as like a definitive take on this record that's just barely come out. And it's very strange, but it also seems to be... I don't know, are we to blame? I think Are the audiences to blame? Because, you know, we do read them. Um, there is a desire for people to immediately get co- content about something that is big news. Um, so, you know, there are no innocent bystanders, I think, guys. There is a certain level of that. I agree that, you know, there is a kind of a demand to see it that quickly. Um, I think you mentioned that, you know, Alexis and The Guardian had written the first four paragraphs ahead of time. I think you can see in a lot of these reviews that that's probably true. Like Craig says, though, label it first listen, and maybe more to the point, have somebody do another review a yeah, few days later. which has been the case, you know, with certain albums and certain publications. Um, strange that The Guardian haven't done anything since. I expected another piece from Petrus, but... Um yeah, I don't know. Maybe they were one of the outlets that actually got a copy. I don't know. Radiohead have done that before. It's entirely the Guardian, possible. It's entirely I, possible. I doubt the Telegraph got a copy, to be honest. And, and the Irish Independent um, probably didn't. just it's probably no. just wishful thinking, thinking, to be didn't. honest. Yeah. Um, so and Petratus, by the way, I mean, like, like to be fair, like I know, I kind of like riled you there playfully, but he is a really good no, journalist. He's, great. Yeah, yeah. he's excellent. He's uh, a great writer. I, I I look forward to seeing what he has to say, but I don't like it when he has something to say about an album that's only a couple of hours old. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys have rules when you're writing a, an album review. Mine has always been it needs five listens. That's just what I've kind of ended up deciding on. Now, I've probably broken that in maybe at worst three listens, but certainly no less. Yeah. Um, one time, Coldplay's second last record, I was reviewing it and it was a one listen job just because it was at the record label. And I started my review saying this is not a review. So... Um, and basically just gave a first impression thing, even though it was the lead review on Hot Press. <laughs> um, but I kind of like f- flatly said, I've only heard this and once. That's and Craig blah, blah, blah. doesn't work for Hot Press anymore. <laughs> yeah, Marched yeah. out of the building <laughs> immediately. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with you. I mean, you know, I don't have a hard and fast rule on how many times, but yeah, anything less than three listens, and I w- really wouldn't feel very confident in passing judgment on an album. Certainly not in some sort of authoritative way as you would do. Yeah. Sort of, you know, throwing something on the front page of the Guardian or the Telegraph website the very night that the album was released. Um, same time, that seems to be how things are going. 
and uh, it seems to be a continuing pattern. It obviously yeah, was exacerbated by the fact that there was uh, a couple of surprise albums in the past two or three weeks alone. Yeah, I, uh, I, I do think it's also, I don't know, it's a good thing in a certain way because it's showing there is an appetite for discussion around these albums. And with these kind of surprise releases, there has been a kind of feeling in the last couple of years that albums, you know, there was talk for so long that the album format is dead. No one was paying attention. There was these big, long, drawn-out promotions. No one cared by the end of it. It's kind of like there's a conversation about the album as an art form now. Um, it might be a very kind of hasty conversation. But, um, yeah, I guess maybe the way to go is just what I do now is end up going back to, like, albums of the year at the end of the year. That's mm-hmm. usually what the definitive take is. That's usually what I base what I'm going to listen to on, um, you know, if I have, if I've missed stuff, but certainly not these first reviews. Well, I think it's going to uh, be another couple that are in contention, at least, to land on. Uh, album of the year lists and the first one is indeed Radiohead sounds like this That's Daydreaming. It's from the new Radiohead record. Um, Landed as a surprise on Sunday. And I must say, I was pleasantly surprised. Craig, what do you make of it? I was going to say pleasantly surprised as well. And going to say, was that a ridiculous thing? Because this is Radiohead. But um, we heard Burn the Witch first. um, And I think we were all underwhelmed. Um, It was, you know, we were promised from this management too that it was like going to be unlike anything we'd heard. And it was just Radiohead with strings. And it was them very much in the cynical take on the world mode. um, And Tom York doing that thing where he just offers up snatches of cliched lines and general sayings. And... It just didn't seem to be going anywhere. Um, but no, as an opener, I thought it was really strong. Um, and, the, you know, the next tracks were just fantastic. And it's an album I've been sinking into more and more throughout the week. Um, and I think it's a fine piece of work. Yeah, I mean, in one way as well, it's very ironic that it should be the one where the reviewers were kind of rushing to conclusion. Because for me, this was an album, yeah, they yeah, took a couple of listens because it, it is challenging at the start, I think it's fair to say, and very intentionally so. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, I, I well, first of all, I mean, I kind of want to say, like, where the fuck is the hyphen in the name of the album? That's really a moon-shaped pool. Why um, did a moon-shaped pool? It's, I don't like <laughs> yeah. that title. There's uh, something about it that's putting me off. It's a really bad title. Yeah. yeah, it's not good. And the lack of hyphen is just irksome. Um, I've mentioned before in the podcast that I'm not a huge Radiohead fan, but by no means do I have any kind of issues with them. I really like what I like at Radiohead, but I've never quite gotten the whole ostentatious, I love this with every fibre of my being aspect of it. Um, so this record I heard, Burn the Witch, I was similarly kind of underwhelmed. I heard Daydreaming, and I, 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 my first reaction to it was, that music is lovely, I wish Tommy York wasn't on it. Um, I will say that I found myself when this album came out on the Sunday listening to it uh, I listened to it about actually five times in a row I I was quite surprised at how much it kind of sucked me in Uh, I think it's a very very fine record Um, Burn the Witch is totally not indicative of the tone at all No, Uh, Daydreaming that's much more the tone yeah Daydreaming vocally I'm I'm still not loving the vocals but I will say I I find the music genuinely mesmerising I think it's absolutely beautiful and quite sombre and very very well done I think Glass Eyes is kind of similar in that regard, I thought. And that's just um, a gorgeous track, isn't it? Yeah, and again, they it's, really are. it's him moving away from those, you know, snatches of lyrics that we've heard and just kind of word associations, and it's a proper story. And it feels like a lot of this record, certainly as it progresses, that it's the most personal maybe Tom York's been in quite a while. Well, it's this appears to be like his, uh, his post-divorce record. Well, yeah, he separated from his wife, I think, last year, and... But then, ironically, there's quite a lot of happiness on this as well. At, at times, by Radiohead standards, by, oh yeah, very you know, you know, just like you know, shafts of light every now and then. You get a bit of levity and a bit of brevity. And yeah, I thought uh, I was also getting almost resignation at some point. Like there, there, there's lyric in there that's you know, I'm happy to serve, and it was almost as though that sort of you know, really rambunctious and really sort of you know, um, well, I guess contrary Tom York of old. Uh, was was gone a little bit and had matured or or had you know simply given up. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, it does have that hazy. Um, the music as well totally sits with that. It's like you know, it, okay, we hate the title, but it is like getting into this deep pool. Yeah, um, I mean, it's the, very <laughs> well. It is. It, it's actually a very immersive record. I mean, yeah. I, I found myself like uh, on those kind of five listens in a row. I found myself sitting at my at my desk and at my laptop and like. I, I actually, this kind of sound, I probably can't describe this very well, but I almost found like my, my peripheral vision kind of melted away. And I just found myself focused entirely on this kind of singular idea. Like it really took me over and I, I was quite surprised that it did that. Even like there were points when the album kind of actually made me, it surprised me. Uh, the song Identicate, halfway through on my first listen, I was kind of like, this isn't really going anywhere. I really needed to do something different now. And then all of a sudden, in comes this very strange over the top, again by Radiohead standards, Choirs, yeah. uh, choir, which uh, comically kind of reminded me of the uh, Dr. Zeus refrain in right. The Simpsons. But it was so... I needed something alien to come in there, and it did. And I was so impressed by that. But actually, yeah. uh, on the subject of that song, though, which I think is, a, I think it's a lovely, lovely song. Um, I think it sounds like it'll be great live as well. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, to go back to the idea of you know reviews coming out early and perhaps too early, I saw a couple of reviews in which they kind of said, "Oh, and it's, it looks like he's he's got a lyric here where he says, move your arse, make it rain.'" And I'm like, if you can't hear that that line is actually broken hearts, make it rain. Yeah, it's one of the moments of the album as well. So if you can't, but I'm, if you can't hear that, right? If you can't hear that, that's what he's saying. I know Tom York is ethereal and whatever else, and his vocals can be a bit indecipherable. But if you, if you honestly, if you're a professional music critic and you can't hear those lyrics and you think it's that, 
hang it the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> that's embarrassing to me. Yeah, it is true. Um, it was bad. But that song is kind of a jumping off point where I think there is a bit of, you know, light in there. And the numbers, you know, he's talking about the future is inside us. There's maybe, he's saying this is shit at the moment, but, and there is some resignation, but there's a tiny bit of hope, which yeah. for Radiohead is, you know, all the hope in the world. Yeah, <laughs> that's very, that's very, that's very well podcast put. title. All that the hope in the world. Nice. That's very well. That's very well put. That's lovely. We won't score this album yet, uh, but before we do, before we move off, uh, one thing I want to say is uh, for me again. I think you guys are bigger Radiohead fans than I am in general. For me, a lot of noise has been made about the song "True Love Waits," and when the song came up on the track list, yes, yeah. a lot of people kind of freaked out. I have no history with that song. Um, I will say that judging it on hearing it on this record, I think it's an absolute beauty. It's gorgeous. Have you heard? You you haven't heard the live track. I haven't because I, I've got this thing with live tracks where I'm like looking up a YouTube video of a live song. Like I mean, like is that really the best approximation? Well, it, of it? it appeared well, on a live EP, so the sound quality is amazing. I'd say check it out. Um, I certainly prefer. And but yeah, the backstory maybe here is that this song was like twenty years, twenty something years old, or like, yeah, yeah it's been around since the nineties and. To me, it felt like a song that was done, to be honest. So it was strange that they resurrected us. Like something like Lift, they were talking about maybe finally getting this legendary song Lift on the record, and it's not here, obviously. Of course they weren't doing it. Um, But it just seemed like they had many, many songs that could have fit on it. And it's great, but I just don't think the... I mean, we talked about the layers on this record. With that take, I think maybe it takes something away from the melody. It just becomes slightly too jarring. Um... There it's were so lovely, little locations yeah, like that in this album. Bit too busy, maybe. Not or... just on that song, yeah, but I mean, there's present tense, which yeah. was, uh, you know, and I guess obviously it fits with the song. The title is a very intentional pun. The tension and anxiety in the song is very literal and very tangible. But there's just so much reverb on the vocals at times that you're starting to lose the actual melody and lose the song yeah. itself. And occasionally with the drumming, I mean, Phil Selway is just a machine to the point where it's, it's sometimes you just think it is a drum machine who won't but, be uh, who won't be touring with them really okay yeah they've announced a different drummer okay um, good at luck the same, to that guy because he's a metronome <laughs> that tour if I recall is I think 12 dates so it's probably not going to be anything too long term like yeah. I say we're going to hold off though on giving a score for that Radiohead album because there was another release last week that caught our ear uh, this is James Blake <laughs> That is called I Need a Forest Fire, uh, features Bonnie Vare, and uh, it was not a representative of the sentiments of our poor friend Josh stuck in Canada last week, but that is <laughs> wow. that is James Blake, and it's a track from The Colour in Anything. Uh, yeah, we were barely out of the door of the studio when we realised that James Blake had... Uh, uh, just announced. We were sinking a pint in the in the sun, yeah, and we, we were like, were "Hey, lads, look, look what's coming out at midnight tonight." Yeah. Um, what do we make of this, Craig? I know you you're a fan of James Blake. Yeah, I'm a massive fan. I think he's a real talent. Um, 
you know, people talk about that debut record, but the second album, Overgrown, was just immense as well. I thought I thought it was, showed real development. It introduced more R&B kind of influences and it, it just kind of sat really well with me. And this, again, it's, um, you know, we talked about Drake and an extremely long album. This yeah. is as well. This is the it's, elephant in the room. I mean, James, yeah. 76 minutes. This is the thing. Um, I find with this record, I mean, I don't have much, again, much of a history with James Blake. If anything, I I'm, I find him quite abrasive. I, I like him. I think he seems like a really cool guy. I know you've talked to him a couple of times, Craig, and yeah. you, 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 you were found, found him very charming and uh, self-facing. And he is—he seems like a cool guy, uh, perhaps as evidenced best by this clip from the worst interview of all time via Newsnight. James, congratulations. Uh, now, you've seen off David Bowie and the Arctic Monkeys. How does that feel? Seen off. It's not the words I'd use. Uh, what but... words would you use? Bested. Been been pleased to share the stage with. Well, actually, not Dave Bowie, I suppose. Although he was on the stage in, in a screen, in a video. He was there in spirit. Now, sadly, not all of our Newsnight viewers will have downloaded uh, Overgrown yet. What can they expect? Um, well, uh, don't let this, uh, you know... Orble. <laughs> don't let this bauble sway. You just... just uh, I hope that it takes you to a place that is uh, positive for you. I don't know. But what's your record like? I mean, is it a howl of pain about England and the planet today, or is it more ambient chillax? Give us a flavour. Oh, chillax. That's progressive for news now. Uh, Very progressive. Anything beyond skiffle is progressive. But please tell us, what, what sort of things can we expect to hear? Um, so, yeah, ambient chillax. <laughs> I mean th- that 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 <laughs> no. that clip never gets old to me, and I think what what's part of what's so good about it is that James Blake handles himself impeccably well during it, completely understanding what stupid interview he's finding himself in. So I like the guy. Um, I I find the guy very interesting. I, I thought that I like the guy. I like the guy. Uh, I like the cut of his jib. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, he's a good kid. Uh, I thought his work on the Beyonce record was great. Um, yeah, Kanye West loves him. Uh, all that kind of good stuff. Um, but here's the thing here's what I'm kind of building up to the 76 minutes thing this record being 17 tracks long and 76 minutes is a massive roadblock for me personally and I'm actually going to do something I thought I wasn't going to do and I'm going to expose myself as a massive hypocrite now because what I'm going to do what what I'm going to do that's our job what I'm going to do with this record is I'm going to do what Craig has done with Kanye West Life of Pablo and I'm going to pick the 10 tracks I like the most and choose my own adventure so to speak because I really like this record but it's it's a commitment, and I don't know if I'm up to the commitment because I do find myself losing a bit of interest, despite the fact that I'm enjoying what I'm hearing. I think it's as perhaps kind of contradictory here. I think it's his most accessible record. I think it's his definitely his best formed, but it's just too much of it. You know, I I have to disagree here because the effect of the 76 minutes, if anything, I found was, and you said it about the Radiohead, was just immersion yeah i agree. I found myself kind of you know whatever maybe eight or nine tracks in just falling completely into it. okay i get it i get his mindset and the rest of the album you were just in tune with it so much it's a great kind of nighttime headphones record as yeah. well i found um and it is that kind of quiet storm type of music where it's just very slow he's gone totally into the r&b it's gone to the full extension of that yeah. and it is 
nearly exactly twice the length of his last record. So he just is brimming with confidence. That's right, yeah. It's pretty much the length of both of his records combined. Yeah. Um, and he just seems as confident as he has been. And with, with the debut, he was he wanted to be a singer, but he had all this kind of, you know criticism from the dubstep community because he was the dubstep poster boy and I think he was caught between those two worlds and when you say abrasive Dave occasionally there were moments and cold moments on that record but he's moving to this really warm place just full soul and expression I think warm is actually a great word for this it is very kind of natural I suppose do you both honestly think though that the amount of tracks, the amount of minutes here, you wouldn't lose a thing. Yeah, no, to be honest, well, I mean, okay, would you lose a thing? Like, I can see one or two that you might take away. I think You'd still it's, be yeah. looking at a track, I think uh, it an was album that over an hour. Unlike Drake, where it just seemed redundant really quickly, I oh, think it, it was is, necessary. It is light years yeah. more interesting I think and more it was, effective than Drake. Light years. I, but I think it was necessary for him to just have this full outflowing of outpouring of stuff because it was clearly the way he was going. It fits in with the mood of the work he's doing. Um, he's worked with Bonnie Vare on this. Um, he's worked with Frank Ocean apparently on this. Um, Frank actually features on one of the tracks. Um, and just yeah, that's a great trio. It should be yes. said as well. That's a, that's a fantastic trio. It should be said as well that I mean I, I don't mean this to sound patronizing in the sense of like you know oh well you know maybe he wasn't capable of this all along, but I felt that musically things stepped up a notch in this yep. record. Yeah, very much so. I'd always had the one reservation about James Blake that when things got too stripped back that he kind of lost it when it went completely minimalist. Which it's is, kind of that thing of, you know, when you walk into a room and there's a very fine line between being like, you know, stylishly minimalist and empty. Yeah. And it, That's and Craig he, when he walks into a room though, isn't it? <laughs> he, he, he was on the wrong side of that. He was on that side where you kind of walk in and just go... Where am I meant to sit? You know, do you have nothing for your Well, walls? it was almost like a fad that I guess the XX were involved with that and it was very fashionable for a time. And actually a lot of people would say he does his best work when he's just stripped right back to that voice. And some of his most powerful songs are like that, but it's not going to sustain an album yeah, by any o- means. The other thing as well is that like, you know, it needs to be like of the sort of quality that it can survive with just that yeah, voice or just yeah. that voice and the piano. And I mean, like the title track I thought did that. Yeah, very um, much, yeah. That song Forever I thought was fantastic. Forever is fantastic. Um, um, Cheers yeah. me. Is that, is that is is choose me? Choose me. Is that's, a, that's a beautiful um, song. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and then you kind of go to the other end of the spectrum. I thought put that away and talk to me was kind of almost a turning point of that album. I think that was the moment where I realised you know I've had sort of like whatever it was twenty twenty five minutes can't exactly remember mm. of this album, and, and this is the moment where I've suddenly I, I've got it, and yeah. I know why this song with its kind of random samples. I know why it's quite so jarring and quite so unsettling, settling, even though it isn't sonically speaking. It's because. I'd managed to sort of get into that mindset. I'd reached that level of immersion that, uh, that yeah. Yeah, and he's, he's, now an art, yeah, he's now an artist that does that for me as well. Um, I've talked about it before, and maybe I talk about it too much, but just the greatest artists do that thing where you're in their universe. And I think James Blake is becoming one of those people. Certainly on this record, for me, you're just right there with him. It's, it's powerful stuff. There's suitable albums then to, to come out at roughly the same time, suitable albums to pit up against each other. Uh, in terms of making a choice, Dave, if you had to walk out with one of those records right now and leave one behind for the rest of your days, perhaps surprisingly, I'm actually going to pick James Blake simply because I think well. that there's, I, I think that there's more here. You mentioned kind of headphones and night record. I've done that with Radiohead, and I haven't done it with James Blake, which yeah. is why, I mean, I find if I was to give this a score, I would actually probably come back in next week with a different score because I kind of feel like I haven't properly sank my teeth into this one as much as I would want to have, simply because it's just been an awful lot of music to get through in the last few days, and I do want to kind of give it the proper experience that it might richly deserve and i do feel it but i do feel it from the listens i have had and i have had more than five um 
I do feel like there's more here than there is on Radiohead's yeah. album. I think there's, yeah, there's more to kind of enjoy long term and it will reveal itself, um, which isn't to say Radiohead isn't great. But um, no, for me, this it's James Blake all the way. I Need a Forest Fire is my song of the year, I think. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Those I, harmonies, man. Those harmonies. I can't. I just can't. I've listened to it now. You can't even. He can't even, folks. <laughs> um, yeah, James Blake for me as well, I must say. The Radiohead album. I mean, like I said. Take that, Tom. You're get a fucking haircut. Pleasant yeah? surprise. I mean, hey, yeah, yeah. somebody asked Nothing me. Nothing wrong with Tom. Somebody asked Cut me earlier about the Radiohead album, and I said, like, I really can't find any holes to poking it here it is a very good record there's nothing ostensibly wrong with it and frankly I kind of approached that album with the fear that yeah there was probably going to be something wrong with it yeah. that I wasn't going to like there wasn't but James Blake for me this sounds like a record of a guy who's just upping his game a guy who's actually found um, you know his top level and yeah I guess the fact that he's been lauded far and wide especially by musicians um, is probably now uh, coming very clear to the public. Yeah. As Kanye well. knows. Kanye always knows. He's oh, rarely yeah. he's rarely wrong about music. <laughs> so yeah, um, I think there we have it. A, a clear winner in our album face off. So yeah. when, what do Radiohead have to do now? What's the forfeit like? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Get DJ. They have to put the album on Spotify. Oh, yeah. that's good. <laughs> they have to get DJ Lethal onto a track mm. in the future, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. It's a callback. So that is a callback to our Red Enemy episode. Um, you should all listen to. Yeah, and by the way, also for everyone, I would say, please go on to uh, Headstuff's music section and have a read of, we've had quite a fine run of reviews in the past week or two. Uh, excellent reviews of Anoni, of this Radiohead record, of James Blake, and also of Overhead the Albatross, whose album is out now. And if you haven't heard that, uh, we, we spoke to them in the very, very first episode of this podcast. They're a great bunch of lads. They've taken a long time to release this record, which is, uh, has been made much of. Everyone knows that. But the great news is that it's totally worth the wait. It's called Learning to Growl. I think we're all fans of it at this table. Uh, I encourage you to go and listen. And congratulations to their entire crew because it's been a, it's been a long work, a long time coming. And it's a wonderful piece of work. So well done, guys. Yeah, yeah, well done, fellas. Woo! So uh, that does it for this week, guys. Cullum, I hope you enjoy Norway. I, ho- <laughs> I hope do my very I best. hope it brings you everything that you need and more. All right. Can you give us any Norwegian phrases? Um, Phil uh, Fjellsen, and that means let's play from the beginning. My Netflix stuck in Norwegian. <laughs> okay, well, I guess that's all you need, is it? Great. Can you give us any foreign tongue? <laughs> Do you knew I, I was near, going to set him off. I nearly, I nearly said something awful there, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, it's goodbye from all of us. Thank you very much, Craig. Thank you. It's I've had the time of my life. A thousand thank yous to Colin Regan. Cheers, mate. And to play us, a thousand thank yous. He, he, I'll, get, I'll split them with you later. He's right? not going to be here next week, and I need you. I need, I, you know, I need to neg you. To okay, you, all right. To I'm in, come back to the I'm podcast. Just love me. Uh, I'll think about it. Okay, so. To play us out this week, uh, a new band, a new hardcore band from Dublin by the name of Orangutan. Uh, they feature uh, Neil Nelly Keating from the rather excellent Within a Mile of Home podcast, Whammo podcast. Uh, if you haven't listened to that podcast, I would recommend it. Two lads from Dublin, one of whom is over uh, across the waters in the UK. Uh, it's a weekly show about current affairs, about MMA, about music and film. Uh, great bunch of guys. There's only two of them. Uh, I met <laughs> yeah, I, I, I met Neil at a party uh, a while ago. Lovely, lovely guy. 
So this is his new band. Craig has lost his shit again. <laughs> this is amazing. I'm going to keep it going though. We had an outtake last week where Craig just lost, and we and we will never be heard. I'm good. He's good. So yeah, uh, Neil Zach, Wham Podcast, great lads. And this band, Orangutan, is a hardcore band. This song is called Spirit Level. It's from their debut EP, which is called Learning to Be Human. Up now on their Bandcamp page and a Pay What You Want deal, a la Radiohead, back when they used to not want to make lots of money. So this is Spirit Level and Orangutan. Uh, of course, if you want to hear your music on this podcast, drop me an email at music at headstuff.org and enjoy this record. Thank you for listening. Uh, there will be no encore. This has been no encore. My name is Dave Hanready. Take care. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.